Oh, hey there. It's Darren Mall here. Welcome to Darren's Decade Podcast. You can meet some of the people that have been a part of my life in the past decade, people that have influenced me, people that I might have influenced, and a couple of the sordid stories from my long-distant past. It is available on all major podcast platforms and on our website, ecr.co.za. Just search Darren's Decade. And of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comedians and entertainers and performers and uh, personalities and industry people that I could have a sit-down chinwag with, there is one who has become unofficially my son of stand-up comedy. Skulk Bezadenot. Over the last decade, Darren's met some awesome people. In this 10-part podcast series, Darren has open, honest, sometimes deep, sometimes hilarious conversations with them. You've made this this lockdown work for you. Eh? Everyone wants to know, what is Skulk thinking today? I think, no, I think people just really need the positivity right now. So, yeah. <laughs> there's some days where you struggle to find that positivity, yeah? Definitely, definitely. But I mean, I drink in the morning, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember what I was like 20 years ago. Okay. Now it's all coming back to me. What are we, uh, Darren, via ad, WhatsApp me, he didn't like properly say, he just said, do you want to Zoom with Darren? What are we celebrating? I mean, the Zoom oh. thing said a decade of Darren, but I mean, yeah. you haven't done this for a decade. You've done yeah, more than a decade. No, radio. What have you done? Oh, uh, on East Coast. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I thought a decade of just performing and doing comedy, and I was like, that's Mm-mm. not right. How, far, how long is a decade? No, because you've been doing it for a decade. I've been doing it for a decade this year. Yeah. I've been doing it for a decade this year. I remember the fir- I still remember the first time I saw you. You were like, you were one of the last guys that I, I proper hosted an open mic for there at Parker's. Remember you, you were doing, you were doing an open mic and, um, that was the first time I met you. Hey, was it Parker's? It was at Parker's, yeah. Yeah. So, so what people don't know is that, so I'll get given the lineup. Joe Parker will send me the lineup. He'll say, okay, so Loisto's opening, uh, Martin's closing, and Gareth's doing a middle spot, and then there's, it just says open spot. So you, yeah, I, never met, yeah. I never met the open spot. I never, I never, I never knew. I never got a brief. I never knew nothing. And then invariably backstage, the open spot would arrive and say, hi, I'm doing, I'm doing the five minutes tonight because an open spot had seen a previous open spot and decided, Hey, I want to do that. And lacquer, let me, let me, let me do that. So I'm, so I'm standing at the bar. This weird guy comes up to me. (laughs) He just, and he was all alone. He wasn't with anyone, which is weird because people come to the comedy club in groups. And this oak was all alone and he was wearing this funny multicolored jersey. And I thought, are you in the right place? This, this guy. And he was the like, magic and companies next door. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, and he starts talking to me and I, and I make, and I make small talk and I'm like, yeah, 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 lacquer, lacquer, lacquer. I had no idea who this oak was. And then, and, but my mind's already on, I'm about to go open and I've got uh, 10 minutes and I must let this guy on, blah, 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 blah. Then I go backstage. I bring on the first act and I come backstage and there's that weird guy. He's backstage. He's there with his jersey and his hair and he's backstage. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, no, I'm, and then I look on the, on the wall there. It says Skulk. And, and he's like, I'm, I'm Skulk. And I'm like, oh, okay. Good luck. They'll let anyone on this stage now. 
<laughs> but uh, so they really take this open anymore. <laughs> they take this open mic thing seriously. It's like anyone just put your name down on a list and they'll put you on. So I'm like, okay, like a, um, yeah, five minutes. I think I said to you, yeah, just yeah, yeah five minutes. Uh, if you go a minute over, we cut your lights, and you go a minute over, we'll cut your sound. And uh, yeah, so don't embarrass yeah. yourself or me. So just go out there and have fun. And then you went out there and you were hilarious, hilarious. And I was backstage going, and and I was like, is he in costume? Was he in character? What is up with this oak? And then I just, that was when I like, I just fell in love with you. I was like, this oak is like, this is my new favorite. And you were still doing open mics. You hadn't even been booked for a, you hadn't done a one man or you hadn't done a, 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 a big show yet. You were just like, you were just, you just, you know what Mel Miller would say? You get people who can be funny. Then you get people who got funny bones and you got funny bones. You're just funny. Thanks, just funny. Well, you were, you were one of the, Maybe you were just in a good space in your life, but you were one of the friendlier people, you know, uh, comedians in the established comedians in the industry. Because it's like that's maybe what people don't don't the part that people don't see. Because like you said, like I was all alone when I got there. Yeah. Like there's only so many times that you you know a friend is going to go with you to a comedy gig before they're like how many how long are you going to do the same 5 minutes for and you're like well yeah. until i think of another 5 which i think is going to be like another year <laughs> and then yeah. you, you like rock up alone to these and especially parkers like it's so intimidating arriving as as an open spot and parkers is packed 220 people packed to the mm. brim and you're like yeah. If I die here, yeah, this is going to be embarrassing. Like I can, you can handle like dying, you know, uh, at a club gig where 10 people have showed up and half of them are comedians. But like yeah. when you walk in there and, but I mean, as the host, you were just like so warm and welcoming and you're just like, yeah, yeah. And that's why my parents always came when you were on the lineup, because I think they felt like a, a gratitude towards you. They felt like you were my sort of, industry dad which is why i still to this day call you papa dad and when i see you yeah. <laughs> i know people get so confused when we when, when we finish the show and you come up to me and, and you're like hey puppy and they're like oh is he is he your son no he's not really he's not really but i mean because like we both a- have an oval face like if i told yeah. someone you're my dad or if i show people a picture and be like this is my dad Easy. he'll just be like yeah okay. they'll believe like, it we, we both we both grow a patchy beard yeah yeah. Oh, I don't know what happened with it. We, your hair would make me do a paternity test because because yours is wild. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would have to do the test before I accept that. Yeah. Well, I'm excited <laughs> to meet my new stepmom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll call it Anna Banana. <laughs> Anna Banana. Well, she's in. She's in meetings and stuff. But um, no, it's nice of you to say that. It's, I. I didn't see it as out of the ordinary. I think maybe it's because I was. I was coached by also one of the most generous people was Joe Parker. So mm. a decade prior to you, you know, he kind of like he, he came out to the hysterics and the comedy undergrounds and the he sets up um, in four ways. What was a legendary spot at four ways? Uh, the junction, I think it was something for us. And um, yeah, he was always, he was very, very generous with his time and his crits uh, before and after a show. And when he asked me basically informally to be sort of like resident MC 
at at Parker's whenever I was available. I would be the, I would be the MC there. I thought, you know, um, this is not it's not about me. This is not my gig. This is Joe's gig, and I'm and I'm doing this for Joe. So I must emulate Joe. And then people would come up to me and they'd say, um, people come up to me after the show and like other comics and like, hey, why didn't I get that open spot? As if I had decided who's doing the open spots. Like I don't do the lineup, guys. I don't, I don't yeah. do any of that. I'm booked just like you. I got booked to be MC and like I emceed. And then, but I'd like, you know, I gravitated more towards MC, MCing as well than I did actually doing spots. I think that's why I got better on, uh, on, on radio because I'm good with links, but don't make me do yeah. the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just comes down to like people who have a passion for comedy because. That, that is one thing I hope, a, a point I hope I never reach is where the, those comics that you can really see, it's like a, it's a job now. You know what I mean? Like they arrive and obviously everyone has nights where you feel like this is a job or like a corporate event and you're really not less. So like there's always going to be times where it's, it's, it feels like a job. But I mean, those comics that you can see like just in general, it's like for them, it's a job. They, you know, but you were yeah. one of those people that like, it, I feel like it hadn't at that stage even sunk in yet to you. Like, wow, this is, this is my job. Like, this is what I do yeah. for a living because you, yeah. there was so much joy in you performing. And if there is that joy still in you performing, then you are going to naturally, you know, want to talk to young up and coming comedians and meet the open spot and like, well, just, yeah. you know, give a shit about, hey, like that was a lack of set or whatever, because if it's just a job, then you don't care who the intern is. I think it's maybe because where I started, where I started at, like I fell into stand-up comedy and it wasn't an industry yet. And it wasn't, you know, like your generation, they were like, oh, there's a career there. So their open mic was the beginning, the first steps of a career. Whereas, yeah. whereas for me, it was like, I love those guys that are on stage. I want to go play with them. And so, you know, I would do, we would do an open spot and then you got booked and then you were like, you were like hanging with these guys that you liked. And then um, it was, a, it was a jaw. It really, really was a jaw. So you were like hanging around with people who really made you laugh. And then the audience was laughing and it was like, could they possibly be a better job in the world? They actually pay you to socialize and laugh and, and just have a jaw. At the moment it starts feeling like a job and graft. No. And, and I also know like those nights where I get onto the stage and I'm like, okay, let me just go through the motions and I'm not feeling it. Then I, I suffer. I suffer as a result of that. Cause the audience picks it up and then it's like, and now I struggle. Yeah. It's going to be a cuck show. So you, you, you let the stage doctor kick in, get, make sure you get yourself into the right place, you know, do the pacing, get yourself energized and um, get out there, do, do the, do the best you can take some risks, have a lot of fun. And then, and then, the reward is the is the audience. The audience will eventually tell you at the end. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. I don't know how to explain to. We don't know. Explain to people what dying is. <sighs> dying is like dying. Only a person who's like physically died and yeah. you, <laughs> and they can't because they did. Yeah, so because... it's like dying is like dying. I don't know. It's like you die. You die inside every yeah and then yeah only a few days later or weeks depending on how much better you get at resuscitating yourself you somehow manage to through whatever process you need to go through yeah. to like 
and then gained like resuscitate yourself and gain the courage to go back on stage. And I mean, for yeah. a lot of comedians, they they never recover from a death and they they don't go on stage like ever. For some people, it's just too it's hard too, to, too traumatizing. Yeah, to like even go do try again, you know, because it's just like I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that again because they don't call it. They don't call it. Um, you know, um, suffering through burning or, um, you know, a crucifixion or whatever. They, they call it death. They call it actual death. It's universal across the comedy industry. Dying on stage or not winning on stage, it's called death. It's, it's not ambiguous at all. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've, had some, I've had some epic deaths. Um, but yeah. even you, because like, you know, where you are lucky is that you're like, you got the funny bones. So even a pause and walking funny and a gesture from you can elicit laughter. I have never seen you die. I've seen you struggle at first because audiences a lot, especially here in Durban, Durban audiences, they don't know Skulk was eight but you couldn't take two steps in Bloemfontein without them flagging you down. You couldn't take uh, uh, two steps in, in half the places uh, in Cape Town without people pulling you over and saying, um, uh, let me take a selfie with you. But Durban, different audience. And I, you know, I yeah. saw you at Kings at Kings and Queen, and half the half the crowd was like, "Huh, who's yeah. this guy?" And so you you had to work for the first couple of minutes, and you were calm, and you applied your craft, and then you won them over. And then when you left that stage, you had five thousand new fans, brand new. They they absolutely loved you. And you know, I know that because after the show, I always mingle with the with the crowd. People will always say, "I feel sorry for the headliners because the headliners." They have, uh, they, they suffer. Uh, the audience has a great expectation for them. And then the other surprise acts end up, you know, you, you, you're a surprise to them and they love you. And then the headliner ends up just doing the same thing they did, you know, last time in their estimation. And, and the headliners, unfortunately, they suffer, they suffer um, with their own fame. And, and, and newer guys on the lineup uh, where the audiences go, I don't know where this is going. And then like the first time Celestine Tully was, was on, the, on the stage here, the audience did not understand what she was saying at first. And then eventually they fell in love with her. And I walk around with the audience and they're like, that guy, the guy with the hair, the guy with the patchy moustache, the guy who spoke to the teenager in the front row about his popcorn at the cinema, that guy, he was hilarious. And I said, no, he's not. He's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious hilarious <laughs> yeah, uh, when when did you ever die but like truly die truly die where you had to finish your time and they were just like not loving you yeah like yeah lots dude i mean so many times like countless times but i've i've always been lucky that i've had more kills than mm. deaths to always make me feel at least that okay, well, this isn't the norm. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's some comedians that like died for like their first two years or something, like gig yeah. off the gig. And, and then something clicks yeah. and then they suddenly like brilliant, you know, and then it's just kill after kill. But then I always like admire those people so mm. much because then I'm always thinking like, I could have never died for that long yeah. before giving up. Like, yeah. I would have died a few times. Beginning of my career, I would have died a few times in a row and then yeah. gone, well, I've tried. Yeah. It's obviously not, but I've always had more good ones than bad ones. But I yeah. remember once 
and well, this is the biggest mistake. It was like the Comics Choice Awards announcement ceremony or something where they yeah. announce who the nominees are. And uh, I, I was staying at Monte Cassino because I was opening for Trevor Noah at the time. And then they messaged me and said, hey, it's at Parker's. Will you co come and perform? But it's only media and industry and other comedians. Yeah. And I didn't have an excuse because I was staying at Monte Cassino in the hotel and they knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I guess I'm available at two in the afternoon. And then all my comedian friends were like, dude, you are going to die so bad. Why would you agree to that? It's media yeah. and other comedians. It's yeah. not an audience. And yeah. I was like, oh, well, I don't have a choice now. I have to go do it. Yeah. And I did five. I did five minutes. And I'll, I'll never forget, like in the back by yeah. the bar in Parkers yeah. was La Zola Gola and Simi Arev. And you know yeah. when you die, yeah. Simi will – Simi is the comedian that enjoys death yeah. most. Like <laughs> yeah. he – he enjoys it more than a comedian who's killing. Yeah. And I just remember it's no, he's, like, he's cruel. Yeah, there's like a hundred people, but you just hear this one loud laughter and it's Simi, who's yeah. just every second that I'm dying, the more I die, the more he's laughing. Mm. And then Mark Banks came on after me because he was having to read the nominees for Breakthrough Act. Yeah, and what do you say? And the people, the people started getting a bit restless. And he did yeah. that classic um, host thing where you go, hey, if you don't shut up now, I'm going to bring back the previous guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he did that. And, and that was the biggest I, laugh. <laughs> that was the biggest laugh. And I was wearing a jersey at the time. I was yeah. drenched under that jersey. Yeah. And then, which is, this is almost worse, was that I was then nominated for Breakthrough Act. And you could just hear that when he read my name as one of the nominees, everyone yeah. was like, that guy? He's nominated? <laughs> what is the standard if yeah. that guy we just saw die on his ass yeah. is nominated? But didn't and you win that one? I won that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I had this gag that I'd written, and I only did it like a few times. I think that that death was so bad that I just I no man those ones, I can't those ones don't count like we all get booked for a, a corporate where a bunch of lawyers decide we want entertainment for lunchtime in the boardroom yeah. and they call you in and they don't have a microphone there's like 12 or 15 of them we've we've done yeah. those gigs those ones you're expected to die I get that and uh, you know and working for media and jazz if it's a jazz festival and it's just jazz artists they're laughing inside they all go yeah yeah. Yes, it would really be nice when things open up again if club gigs can start again because there's also something different. Like one man shows is obviously nice because it, but it's your fans coming to to watch you. But there's like yeah. also a different kind of thrill when you go on stage. Maybe one or two people in the audience know who you are, but the rest kind of mm. they're like, yeah, I've heard of this guy, but they don't really know who he is. Yeah, there's and nothing. Then, there's nothing better. I love watching and you. And then you go on stage and you yeah. you destroy for ten minutes, and you know that's it's really an awesome thrill. But your your whole vibe does that. I mean, your your wild hair and your diminutive form and your and your corybantic jerseys and your and your uh, unashamed uh, name, Skulk Poseidon. 
if an audience does has never heard of you before, you are to them they go, what what is going on here? What is you look like that guy from that meme that wore the the short pants and the muscles at the at the at that rave, holding his beam, holding his beer. Vernon. What was his name? Vernon Cookamood. <laughs> People are like going, is this a Vernon Cookamood moment that's happening here? And then they five or ten minutes into your set, they go, Oh my word, this is funny. And it's a funny they can't explain. It's like it's lacquer. Listen, I don't know. We've got like four minutes there, but I don't know where the comedy industry is going to be. And also after the pandemic, I don't know if people are going to know what it's like to go out in the numbers like they did before. You know what I mean? Because this is the new habit. Social distancing, small crowds, that's the new habit. So I don't know. I'm kind of like, you know, what? I'm kind of thankful that I, that I have this radio gig that I'm doing. It turns out I'm pretty good at it. I've been doing it 10 years. And um my audience seems to be quite quite happy with me and i only have to give out these you know little tidbits of of lightheartedness on a daily basis and none of the pressure of like a, a full 40 minute or hour and a half stand up comedy thing but um i i have no idea what uh, what comedy is going to look like but i mean so long as people like you are still grafting at it and still honing your tool then i think you know i think we'll be okay so whatever you do don't quit I won't. I, th- I think we'll be fine. I think we will. I think people are desperate to go back to normal. And as soon yeah. as the rules and regulations say you can go back to normal, they're going to go back to normal even harder than what they did. So I think if when things go back to normal, like, move, like movie theaters, shows, it's all going to be more packed because – it's going to be like you don't know what you have until it's gone, and then that's going to continue for like two years before people start taking it for granted again. And then you have to wait <laughs> till the next corona for people oh, to yeah. appreciate it again. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll, I'll drink my non-alcoholic pineapple beer to to that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Skalki, thank you for chatting. Bye, Donkey Shinky. Donkey Pa. In uh, yeah, lekker om te zien. And uh, yeah, I can't wait until we uh, until I, I, I get to shout into a microphone. Please welcome my uh, illegitimate son, Skulk Poseidonot. And for the Dude, whole Durban... <laughs> You know, we were going to be in Durban this weekend, um, but yeah. we in Gauteng. So they were like, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were looking forward to it. But anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to move to Durban one day. I'm, you know, it's a trend in the Afrikaans industry. Bob van Black moved there. Yeah, I see he's um, up here in Belisa, yeah. Yeah, Bobby van Jarschveld. Yeah, so he's here as well. I'm going to move there. I'm going to move there. Yeah, go do your one man's, uh, get a couple of uh, series out, and then, then come retire here. Bye. Bye-bye, thank you. good. Darren's Decade on East Coast Radio, KZN's number one hit music station. For more, hit ecr.co.za, hashtag Darren's Decade.